0: few months ago I was reading an article written by a friend this article was regarding the condition of our city and as I reflected on the article and I thought about all of what the article had to say I was reminded of The reality that the shalom that God intended for humanity, that back in the garden it had been shattered. And it doesn't take long to look around, it doesn't take long to watch television or turn on the internet and realize that our world is broken and that the peace and the wholeness and the human flourishing that God intended is broken. That things just are not the way that they ought to be. This particular article said that 22% of the population in the inner city are functionally illiterate. The unemployment among that same group of people is about 20%. The rates of assault and robbery, substance abuse and burglary averaged about a thousand incidents per month. I took a moment to look at the MEEP scores, the neighborhood school, Alger Middle School, and in some cases, the numbers were almost unbelievable. Less than 10% met standard or exceeded the standards, and in some cases, in math, in particular, 25 to 30% met standard, and when I read those numbers, I thought, "I, I, I must be I must be reading this information incorrectly. That certainly, certainly it must have meant that there were only 10% of the student body who had not met expectation. But the reality was only 10%. I was troubled by those scores. But as I look at what Cornelius Plantinga writes, I am reminded of how Shalom has been shattered. In the Bible, Shalom means the universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. When I look at our culture, when I look at our world around us and I see the brokenness, I realize things are not the way they ought to be. And centuries ago, God spoke to his people. He had a word for his people. I believe God has a word for his people today, just like the words he had for Israel, for the people of God as recorded in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. In Jeremiah 29, we find a letter from the prophet Jeremiah that was written to the exiles who were in Babylon. And as many know, as many scholars know, as well as lay people alike, the Babylonian exile, Babylonian exile had a tumultuous effect on the people of Judah. For the people of God, there was this interconnectedness between the land that God had blessed them and the very presence of God. And so for, for Judah to be ripped from the land, it was, it was in fact uh, tumultuous for them because in their minds, they were, they were trying to discover and trying to understand how do you worship God when you're not in the land anymore? During this time, as the city is plump, plumaged and, and the, the, the temple is destroyed, the lives of the people are in complete turmoil. They realize that they have been taken into Babylonian captivity. And they begin to ask the question how do you live in a world where your God is hated? How do you live in a world where the pervading values of the culture are against the will and the ways of God? How do you do it? I think Jeremiah gives us an answer. I think he helps us to discover and understand how it is we are to live. Has has anyone noticed the growing tension that is occurring as people of God are trying to live out their faith, as followers of Christ are trying to live out their faith in a culture that seems to be opposed to the will and the ways of God? Have you felt the tension? It, it, it becomes more and more difficult to trust and to and to and more and more difficult to declare your faith in Christ in a culture that is becoming more and more anti-Christ. Remember, Jesus said, Jesus said that they would hate him, and they would also hate us. And in this culture, we're beginning to see more and more of that developing. We're experiencing the tension of what it means to live in a culture that is more and more anti-God. An interesting thing is that there were false prophets... False prophets among the people of God, who were telling the people during their captivity, don't get involved in life. Don't take and plant roots in Babylon. Don't get involved in the day-to-day activities and experiences. Don't engage in the life. Kind of stay on the fringes, if you will. Eventually, God's going to deliver us. He's going to bring us out of this circumstance. He's going to deliver us soon. So just kind of stay to the fringes. Don't engage. Don't get involved. And Jeremiah stands and says, The prophets are not from God. Yes, God will deliver you. But it's going to be 70 years before that deliverance happens. The text says in Jeremiah chapter 29, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem. The craftsman and the artisan had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He trusted, he entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Here's what it said. This is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce Marry and have sons and daughters find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord, verse 4, Almighty, the God of Israel says, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I think the very first thing that Jeremiah teaches us in this passage, the very first thing that we discover is that you and I, as followers of Christ, we must begin to own the fact that as his followers... That we are exiles in this land. Our true identity is an identity of an exile. We are not from this world. Our, Our lives are not to be established among this culture. We are exiles in this land. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about why is it that when God saves us, when he delivers us from sin, when he saves us, why doesn't he just take us to be with him? I mean, how great would it be for God to just deliver us, save us, and then bring us into his presence? Well, God has a purpose and a plan for us. He wants us to be in this world, and yet he doesn't want us to be of this world. And so we are to live out a reality as an exile in this land. First Peter tells it, says it this way. First Peter 2 and 11 calls us aliens and strangers. We are pilgrims on a journey. That this life, this life, this place, this this earth, this world is not our home. And yet many of us fight against that. We argue against that. We don't want to be exiles. We want to be one among many. Songwriter says it this way, this world is not my home. Says, oh Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. If heaven is not my home, then Lord, what shall I do? The angels are beckoning me from heaven's open door. Then I can't feel at home in this world anymore. As God's people. We know what exile is. We have had to deal with the reality of what it means, the struggle, the difficulty, the heartache, the pain of what it means to be a stranger in a foreign land. Notice in verse four, that God makes it very clear in verse four and in verse seven that he is the one involved in the carrying out of Israel being into of Judah being in captivity that god is involved in the process look at what the text says this is what the lord almighty the god of israel says to all those i carried into exile God says it, and then again in verse 7, he says, I am the one who carried you into exile. If we're going to learn and understand how to live in this culture, to live in a world that is becoming increasingly more anti-Christ, we must recognize that God has placed us where we are. God has placed us where we are. Yes, he used King Nebuchadnezzar to bring about the people of God and taking them into captivity, but God was declaring that he is still in charge. That he is the sovereign Lord and King and no matter what King Nebuchadnezzar does, God is still the one on the throne and he is the one that's carrying the people into exile. God wants us to understand that he has placed us where he would have us to be. We have to recognize that God places us where we are in the schools that we're in, in the neighborhoods that we live in, in the communities that we're a part of. In the workplaces where we are, God has placed us there because God has a purpose and a plan for us to accomplish. He wants to use you and I in the places that he's put us. And so I'm, 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 get, I'm gaining a greater understanding of this idea of place and what that means and how God places people in certain situations and circumstances, how God navigates situations so that you and I can be a blessing to somebody else. So let me tell you a little bit about the story of Tabernacle Community Church. Over 13 years ago, we had a, we had a heart and a desire to plant a church, to be in Kentwood, Michigan. And Calvary played a role in, in the planting of that. Calvary planted Tabernacle and we started out in Kentwood and through a series of conversations and circumstances, God moved us out of Kentwood back into the city of Grand Rapids. Now at the time, we didn't realize what God was doing, but he placed us at, on Eastern between 28th Street and Alger, right on the corner, right, right on the brink between the city and the suburbs. And what we began to realize is that God was positioning us to be a bridge between the city and the suburb. And that God was positioning us to be a bridge between white and black. And in Tabernacle Community Church is this blessing and beautiful gift of diversity where God was placing us strategically to be involved in the work of reconciliation, to be involved in the work of being a bridge between black and white, suburb and city. And oftentimes we've been asked, oftentimes we've been called, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Tell us what the secret is. And we just simply say, it's a gift from God. So how are you navigating it? We're learning and discovering how to do that and are some of the things that we're learning. And so oftentimes we get opportunities to have conversations. We get opportunities to have conversations with those who are in the suburbs and opportunities to have conversation with those who are in the city and opportunities to connect those two together. God's placement, God's movement. And God is telling through the prophet Jeremiah, he tells the people to engage in life. Look at what he says in the text. Look at what he says. Jeremiah's prophecy was contrary to what others were saying. There was no reason for the exiles to expect an early return despite what the other prophets were saying. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek Seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Jeremiah instructs them to build. He instructs them to plant. He instructs them to marry. He instructs them to multiply. In in other words, Jeremiah says, do the things that you would normally do. Engage in life in this experience. So as we begin to, to, to learn and discover how to interface with this world, Jeremiah tells us, I'm in your notes. We must engage in the city. We must engage in the city while maintaining our spiritual identity. Jeremiah says, engage in the city. He says, get involved, invest in real estate, engage in business, engage in life in the land. In in a land that's completely unfamiliar and even hostile towards the things of God. Engage. No doubt there are four classes of people. And I want you to to ask yourself, where do you fall? The first group of people, the first group of people are, are individuals who assimilate. Let's say that word together, assimilate. The first group of people would simply move into the culture, they move into the world, and they assimilate. They become like everyone else. They do what everyone else does. They eat like everyone else. They dress like everyone else. They're indoctrinated in the in the culture and the ideas of the culture. They're in debt like everyone else. They spend money like everyone else. They simply assimilate. There's no distinction between them as a follower of Christ and and the rest of the world the only difference is on Sunday they show up at a gathering like this they assimilate and this is what the Babylonians wanted the Jews to do. They wanted them to assimilate. They wanted them to become just like the culture, like Babylonian culture. So they indoctrinated them with the values and the, and the, and the teachings of the Babylonians. They indoctrinated them. They, they wanted them to eat their foods. You remember Daniel and, their, and his friends? You remember how they wanted them to simply assimilate into the culture? They changed their name they gave them new foods to eat they tried to indoctrinate them with the educational system they did everything they could and yet these young men stood and declared no matter how much you say I ought to live or what I ought to do in Babylonian culture I will not you can never take away what God has placed in me those young men stood firm they refused to assimilate there's a second group of people. There's a second group of people who not only are there individuals who assimilate, but there are individuals who isolate. Say the word with me, isolate. There's a group of people who isolate or separate themselves. And so they've decided that, that they're going to remain in their little Christian bubble. They've decided that they're going to go to Christian schools and that they're, they're going to hang out only with their Christian friends, that they're going to shop at only places Christians own, and that they're going to only do things with other Christians. So they isolate themselves, they separate themselves, and then they give themselves biblical reason to do it. Well, you have to be in the world, but not of the world, and so I isolate from the world isolation is another choice this world is full of evil and because it's full of evil we must avoid it as much as possible so they isolate they separate i learned of a story of a church who made a conscious decision to isolate they made a conscious decision to isolate it was with their youth group they decided that their church youth group their church's youth group would be at one time and then they'd have a separate youth group for the neighborhood kids And never would the two come together because there was a fear of interfacing their kids, their church kids, with the neighborhood kids. And although I understand the concern, I understand the concern, there was a great tragedy that occurred when that happened. That there was a decision to close up the light there was a decision to keep the light the light of the kids away from what was perceived as darkness so they chose to isolate not engage in the culture not be involved and still maintain their spiritual identity so you can assimilate you can isolate The third way or the third group of people is dominate. There's a group of people who simply want to dominate the culture. So here's what they've decided to do. They've decided that they're going to take biblical values and all the biblical values and force it on a culture that's in rebellion against God. And they often do this, they often do this through political means. They try to force values, biblical values, on a culture that is in opposition to God. So they decide that their way of engaging and being involved is to dominate. Say dominate. I think Jeremiah teaches us that assimilation is not the way. That isolation is not the way and that domination is not the way but he is calling us based on this text he is calling us to participate say participate Participate. he is calling us to participate to engage to move about to help meet needs to see problems and help bring solutions to get involved but to not lose sight of who we are and whose we are in the process. So he calls us to participate but I love this passage as you read the passage you come to discover that it's not enough just to participate it's not enough just to serve just to love just to engage but he says not only am I calling you to participate but he says seek after the shalom of the city he says go deeper go deeper than just participating Go deeper than just participating in the culture, but I want you to look after, to seek after, to go after the welfare of the culture. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city for which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper. But God, those people are different. Those people are different from us. Jeremiah says that we must actively seek out the shalom of the city. But those people don't live like us. They're pagans. Their values and their morals are incomprehensible. We are to actively Seek out the shalom of the city. Look at what, look at what Jeremiah is saying. He's saying, Judah, instead of being concerned about your release, instead of being concerned about getting out of captivity, instead of being concerned about getting leaving home, leaving this place, seek out the common good. Of those who have oppressed you seek the welfare of the city because yours is tied to it you mean God you want me to utter my prayers the names of the Babylonians pray for them we need to hear this message we need to hear this message because it is so easy to get caught up in complaining about what's going on around us and in our lives. It gets It's so easy to get caught up and consumed with what's happening in our own situation. And God says that if you want to experience prosperity, that your prosperity, the the, the shalom that God intends for you, it is connected with the shalom of the city. But I'm afraid that you and I have been charged with the sin of Sodom. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 49 says this. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. How often have we become arrogant with the truths of God's word? When we come in contact with those who are far from him and we express ourselves in very arrogant ways, overly fed. We go from Bible study to Bible study to Bible study. And Bible studies are great. I love studying the Word of God. I love teaching the Word of God. I love spending time with God through His Word. And yet, many, many, many followers of Christ have become overfed by the Word and never exercising it in their lives. Just eating and eating and consuming and consuming and never giving back to others i want to show you one more passage one more passage it says that we've become unconcerned as well we've become unconcerned unconcerned with the people who are around us when we see that over 90 percent of the student body at alger middle school is Um, receiving reduced or free lunch we can make some economic assumptions about them and yet we find ourselves oftentimes unconcerned if it doesn't impact us if it doesn't impact our children it's not our school it's their school unconcerned look at what Jeremiah says in chapter 22 and verse 16 Jeremiah 22 and 16 says this, he defended the cause of the poor and needy and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? God says you want to know me Because that's why we do Bible studies. That's why we get engaged in the word and we need to continue to do that. But it's so that we can know God and God says providing for the poor, helping those who are needy is a way of knowing me. And so as I close, one person can impact the world imagine if Michael Jordan made a decision to stop selling gym shoes how it would impact the economy Oprah Winfrey I am NOT a fan of Oprah Winfrey but Oprah Winfrey If she gets on television and endorses someone's book, it goes from selling five copies to five million copies. The impact of one person. But imagine, imagine the impact you and I could have If highly committed followers of Jesus united together and went into the city and sought out the shalom of the city, imagine what could happen if low numbers, thousands and thousands of followers of Christ united together to bring about change In a culture where dads have been virtually absent and now they're discovering what it means to be a father and walking into their purpose and living that out before their children. Imagine if bad boys walking around with their pants hanging down are learning about honesty and integrity and discipline and character and pulling their pants up and calling Jesus Lord. So Tabernacle Community Church made the decision, instead of instead of separating our youth ministries, they made the decision last year to leave the building and go over to Alger Middle School and invade that space and begin to invite students from Alger Middle School to be a part of our student ministry. so that there's an opportunity to bring the shalom of God so we're mentoring kids right now and then ultimately with this program where we're teaching them honesty and integrity and how to fall in love with Jesus Christ and what he's done for their lives right there in the middle school as we're doing that we're looking for an opportunity to help teach them work skills in the summer And then ultimately propel them into an entrepreneurship program that will help them to dream and begin to think about what it means to build their own business. Because here's what I discovered. Here's what I discovered. I am closing. Here's what I discovered. God shared with me maybe three or four years ago. That if community transformation was going to happen, if the shalom of God was going to rest upon Alger Heights, it was going to happen not solely because Tabernacle was there, but because the body of Christ was there. And so we've been working to develop partnerships, to cultivate partnerships. And we've, we've you know, launched a community collaboration where four churches in the neighborhood are working together. Tabernacle was, was in the forefront of, 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 of pushing forward to make that happen. And we're believing that the shalom of God is going to rest upon that community. Because we realize that our prosperity is not the goal, but the prosperity of the city is what God is calling us to. So I challenge you, I challenge you to actively seek the shalom of the city. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to be used by you. Forgive us when we've chosen to assimilate and be like everybody else. when we opted to just simply isolate ourselves. And even in those times, God, when we try to dominate the culture, help us to engage and to be concerned about what concerns your heart. It's our desire to be used by you so that your kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.